Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast on The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. I've escaped from the studio this week. We are in Parliament in Portcullis House, just overlooking Big Ben. And I'm joined this week by three brand new MPs who've just arrived uh, in Westminster in the past couple of weeks to find out their experiences, what it's been like, what's the weirdest thing that they've come across. I'm joined by Labour's Luke Pollard, who took Plymouth, Sutton and Devonport from the Conservatives. Douglas Ross the Conservative MP who defeated the SNP's Westminster leader, Angus Robertson, in Moey, and Vera Hobhouse, who's the Lib Dem who won in Bath. Welcome to you all. Right, well, let's start with you then, Douglas. Just talk us through how it was that you came to be standing in that seat and what ended up being claiming one of the big scalps of the of the night in Scotland? Uh, well, I've lived in Murray my whole life, born and brought up there, and I've served the last 10 years in the local council, in Murray Council, uh, and I've stood against Angus Robertson twice before, so this was third time lucky for me. Uh, it was a, a big target seat for the Conservatives in Scotland. Uh, it's one that a lot of pundits didn't think we could win because it was to overcome more than 9,000 majority, uh, and of course the leader of the third biggest party uh, in the House of Commons, so it was a big scalp to take, but we had a strong local campaign, and as I say, it's one I've stood a number of times before. Did you feel pressure because it would have been a big scout? There were a lot of sort of Scottish Conservatives looking to you to to stick one to the SNP. It wasn't just Scottish Conservatives looking to me. It was uh, normally at our account we get the Press and Journal and the Northern Scot turning up a couple of local papers. This time we had Sky News, Channel 4, uh, BBC. Uh, so there was a, a large media interest, obviously, because of Angus's position uh, here in the House of Commons. But there was also, you know, a lot of our supporters across the country were saying this is one we could, could really take. And it was a seat that last elected a Conservative in 1983, so the year I was born. So I thought the omens were on my side uh, with that type of thing. I interviewed uh, Ruth Davison during the campaign and I asked her, would she rather kick Angus Robertson out or get 10 MPs? And she seemed genuinely uh, like she was weighing up <laughs> whether ju- just getting his seat. Uh, was it? And then she, 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 got, she did both. She got both. Um, Vera, in uh, Bath, your seat was interesting because you were selected only a couple of weeks into the campaign. I was, um, but it was a, a top target seat for the Lib Dems. We had only relatively narrowly lost it in 2015. Um, a Lib, Lib Dem who had been serving Bath for 23 years. Um, it was a strong Remain campaign. So it was a seat for the taking and also the Conservatives locally made many mistakes. Um, I think um, the relatively inexperienced Conservative MP didn't help himself. So we won it uh, very comfortably. And Luke, you'd been campaigning in Plymouth for some time. Uh, How confident were you going into it that this would be the time that you you took Plymouth something back? Well, losing by only 500 votes in 2015 was really gutting and kind of losing hurts, but it gives you time to reflect on what you could do better. And going into this campaign, I mean, Labour were only 24 points behind in the polls, you know, but we were confident that we could win even if the rest of the Labour Party got wiped out. So we built a campaign focus solely on local issues, focus on putting Plymouth first, all the kind of like, you know, things that if you live in the far southwest that you're annoyed about, that London doesn't pay any attention to you, we don't get our fair share in funding, the fact the motorway stops in Exeter, things that really, you know, get people annoyed. And that campaign just built and relentlessly put in a really positive way. So we were fighting a positive campaign about what I could do to you know, stand up for Plymouth. We thought we could win whatever happens. And it was only halfway through the campaign when Theresa May launched her manifesto 
that you could that the polls suddenly start seeing what we were seeing on the doors that Tories were not happy about the dementia tax they weren't happy about the the kind of like the soundbite nature of the election not having any content behind it and so it was you know I wouldn't say there for the taking as Vera said but you know it was something that we could feel like we could win so um all three of you at what point did you think you might actually be coming to Westminster as an MP did you do you start thinking about that during the campaign, or were you just campaigning relentlessly? Do you ever let yourself? You're shaking your head with it. No, um, because as you say, disappointment can happen so quickly. You can lose by two votes, or and it, it, anything is for the taking. But of course, you only know that in hindsight. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that during the campaign. I, I stopped myself from building up any hope, um, and only through the count when people were starting to say, "Oh, it's looking good." I only really believed it when I, I saw about th- three boxes stack up in front of the Conservatives that I thought, mm, it looks good, I probably won this. So then you get on the train to, or, or do you fly down, Douglas? So get on a plane or a train and come to Westminster. What Talk us through what happens when you turn up as a newly elected MP. Is it a Rolls-Royce operation that greets you at the... Uh, Mother of Parliaments. Well, apparently it's better than it was in the past, but you kind of rock up to Parliament, they take your name, uh, they give you a security pass, and in my case, they've managed to cut my photo straight from my Twitter profile, which is which is nice. Um, and then the first question I got asked was, where do you want your expenses paid? Not the kind of like, you know, <laughs> what's your big issue you want to campaign on? What, you know, how can we help you? It's like, where do you want your expenses paid? And the second question was, did you bring any personal staff with you? And I said, oh, no, we haven't, haven't hired my parliamentary office yet. And they went, no, 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 I mean like a chauffeur or a gardener or something. I was like, no, no, uh, no, I didn't. And I was being shown around by uh, by someone who uh, remarked when I came out of that first kind of like exposure to the House of Commons bureaucracy, it's a little bit like your first day at boarding school, isn't it? And I was like, I'm a Labour MP. I went to a comprehensive school. You know, I, I don't have this experience. I mean, it is a bit like Hogwarts. It does feel quite alien in times that there's lots of mysterious kind of traditions which you have to learn about you know it's hard to read up on um but it is incredible being here you know the the fact that you can you know collar the prime minister in in a voting lobby the fact you can have conversations with people about things that have been ignored for so long it's a huge opportunity but you know not having a phone line that works and the emails going down constantly you know it's a bit frustrating have you already collared the prime minister i've had a quick chat with her about the mayflower anniversary in plymouth yeah very good. That's that's getting stuck in a way. Well, you, Douglas, what, what was your experience when you arrived? Well, I'm not quite as good as looks. Um, as a Conservative MP, no one asked me about my chauffeur or gardener, so <laughs> so maybe they had a stereotypical view of a, a Scottish Conservative MP. But it was very daunting. I, I'd been fortunate enough to be elected to the Scottish Parliament last year, so I'd had a year in the Scottish Parliament, and it was very organised, and it's very modern Parliament. Uh, we press buttons to speak there, and it's all agreed by the whips beforehand. Here, I still haven't done my maiden speech, but I've got to write a letter to Mr speaker to ask him if I'm allowed to speak and then stand up and down for several hours before I'm finally called. So it's getting used to the traditions. But there has been a lot of support from the parliamentary authorities. There's great staff working in here who know that certainly the the new intake of about 100 MPs uh, have a lot to to learn in the first few days and they've been very supportive. Vera, what's it been like in the chamber? Have you been into the chamber? What's your impression when you sort of first walk into the House of Commons? Well, I have to admit I had been a tourist before, so I knew it was a small chamber. It's actually surprisingly small and intimate. Um, And the interesting thing is when you see it on telly, it looks actually much bigger than it is because so many people cramp in. Um, What one doesn't see on the television is that people, MPs, sort of sit on the stairs. They're so tight in chairs um, that they almost sit on each other's knees in order to get for the Queen's speech or uh, the, the, the election of the Speaker. They 
get as many people in, but there's still so many people who just don't make it. So you have to reserve your seat in the morning. So if you're an early bird, you'll be there before eight o'clock and put your, which is called a, a prayer card, at the back of your seat. Um, and that's bizarre. Um, even as a councillor in the council chamber, I didn't know that I had to put in my prayer card and be there before eight o'clock to reserve my seat. It's like getting up early and putting your towels on a sun lounger, you know, getting there, uh, get there nice and early. And then um, you've, Luke, you've done your uh, maiden speech. So what was that like? Was there a lot of bobbing up and down? So because, uh, unlike you said in uh, Scottish Parliament, where you press a button and that's how you get to call it, you've just got to keep standing up and down and, and hoping to catch the speaker's eye. Did you have to do a lot of that, Luke? I did, yeah. So I did my maiden speech last night. And although you can kind of book in, you book in for a day and then it's basically up to when the uh, speaker wants to call you. So there's a lot of standing up and down. Um, but the uh, in theory, we had eight minutes to do a speech for your maiden speech that was cut to six minutes then that was cut to four minutes and as I was waiting to be called I was expecting the speaker to go and now I'm going to call Luke Pollard but just before we do that uh, the time limit's been reduced to two minutes so working out which bit of the speech you could throw away at the end but you know it's amazing what you can get in um, you know out in four minutes so I only had a you know very brief amount of time but you know to talk about Plymouth the issues that affect us and then to you know briefly outline what you want to do in parliament you know Four minutes is actually enough time to do that, as long as you're concise and clear. But, I mean, what I've seen is so many people today, you know, watch the Baden speech on Facebook, um, or watch it on, on, online, and now sending questions. And these people who have never been involved with politics before, and actually that, that way of, you know, I think all new entry MPs from whatever party have to do politics differently, because there's such an opportunity to engage people that have been put off by the Yabu sucks playground politics that you see in the chamber uh, in the past. And I think there is a, a chance that, you know, we can not only get those people voting, but get them involved with politics, get involved in changing their communities for the better, whichever party they're in. But to do that, I need to make sure that I, when I bob up and down, I'm not jeering and leering at people, that I'm being constructive in what I'm trying to say. Because ultimately, I mean, I don't think there's anyone in Plymouth that voted for me to go here and behave like a child. Um, I'm not sure in other constituencies, but that's certainly my view. So I've got to be mature about it. Vera, you're nodding. Because um, I absolutely agree. The one thing that was very surprising. I was used to PMQ. You know that people are jeering and all the rest of it. But even in less important debates, people sit there and talk uh, through a debate. And I find if somebody wants to chat to his mate, why doesn't he go outside? I want to listen to the debate. I want to listen to what Luke has to tell me. Um, and it's not always, but there's a decent amount of um, times when people loudly talk to their neighbours. I was a secondary school teacher in my classroom. It was one voice. And I would like to uh, remind uh, people um, that that's what they were brought up on. And if you want to be respectful, you listen to what um, the people have to say, in the, your colleagues have to say in the debating chamber. And Douglas, when you go into the chamber, have you already sort of worked out the sort, you know, if you've got a place that you want to sit, so all the Scottish Tories sitting together? Yeah, so far we've done that, and now I'll be watching Luke very closely, just to make sure he doesn't start jeering at the Conservative <laughs> benches, and I'll, I'll remind him about this interview. He'll be sitting there in silence, I'm sure. I hope so, I hope so. Uh, we've actually positioned ourselves uh, opposite the Scottish National Party, who obviously lost 21 MPs, uh, so it's uh, a reminder that 12 of those um, uh, losses for the SNP came at the expense of the Scottish Conservatives but you know we might move around a little bit I know it's better to stay in in one seat for the whole parliamentary term just so the speaker knows roughly where you are when he calls you um, but again as Vera was saying you know it depends if I get my prayer card in early enough to do that. Is it possible that you might be tempted to 
shout across at the SNP occasionally? Uh, well, we were told off by the Speaker on the first day that the, the new <laughs> Scottish Conservative contingent uh, were a bit loud and were using too many uh, hand and arm gestures to the SNP. And I think it was quite interesting for our benches to hear some Scottish voices shouting back at the SNP and a wee bit unusual for the SNP to get so much opposition uh, from our benches as well. But it was enjoyable as well. It makes an interesting change when the SNP arrived two years ago en masse they were clapping and taking photos of each other and all that. They, they got told off by the, by the speakers. It seems only fair that you, you turn up and behave badly and then do the same thing. And in terms of being around Parliament, I mean, I've been here for 12 years and still get lost because you go down a corridor and then it, you, you realise you're on the wrong floor when you whatever. Have you all got lost so far? I, I've only, well, this is my third week and I only realised uh, where the library was yesterday because a colleague of mine says, well, I've been working at the library. I didn't even know where the library was. I didn't realise it extended so far down. I, I missed my tour uh, by the doorkeeper. So that I'm finding new things the whole time, but I'm also just sticking to the same route every time. So I go down a long corridor, I turn right and I go up about five flights of stairs and there's probably a far quicker and a far more direct route, but I don't know what it is, so I stick with the route I know. Viva. It has to be said that everybody is so friendly. They want to help you. In fact, they're waiting for somebody to get lost. Madam, are you lost? And then they take <laughs> you around. Um, and I find that everybody has got their own favourite route. So there's so many different routes you can take and you have to pick the one that suits you best and stick to it probably. Oh, no, I've been exploring the basements. Uh, like, what was amazing about Parliament is Parliament's, you know, hundreds of years old, and it was built as, a, like, an old boys' club. And so the main floor, the kind of things that people used to see in the House of Lords, House of Commons, the big dining rooms, I mean, they're fabulous and grand. But actually, you know, if you go down one floor into, like, you know, where the servants used to be... Um, you can cut through, you get places much faster. You discover things that I never knew they had done. There's a whole room for flowers in the base of the parliament. And there's lots of different ways through, but it is a really reminder, I think, that actually, you know, parliament's not always been there to support, you know, ordinary everyday folk. You know, the whole building is structured to help the very wealthy enjoy their plush lifestyle and be served by everyone else. And actually, it's a good reminder for, you know, not to get stuck into that because, you know, I've had three meals a day in parliament so far. The hours are long. I mean, last night, we finished at 10 o'clock at night. This is, you know, I've spent my entire career working in the private sector. There's literally no way that any employer that I've ever worked for would want you burning out in the hours that you work in as an MP. But apparently it's perfectly acceptable to have burnt out um, uh, members of parliament. And, you know, family-friendly hours need to be introduced to parliament. But we also need to look at the fact that, you know, it's still very much a kind of us and them sometimes in the way that Parliament works. You know, there's lots of things that need to change. And I think, you know, coming in with a, that positive attitude that says, actually, you know, let's just not accept the way this is. Yes, you have to obey the rules, and I'm certainly not going to take the speaker to task on anything in the next couple of months. But, you know, just learning and having to explore, you know, it's a fascinating couple of weeks so far. I must admit, I, when the SNP were told off for clapping uh, at the beginning, I thought they should have just carried on. To, that's what normal people do. If you go to a birthday party or whatever, people clap. They don't go... But, but apparently that's farmyard noises, what uh, they're supposed to do in the House of Commons. Um, and in terms of the food, what's the food like? Far too much of it and far too good, unfortunately. I, I have a, a hobby, which is quite an active hobby, and I found it more difficult now to, to keep up my running and things like that. And uh, as Luke was saying, you know, if you're finished at 10 o'clock tonight, you tend to, I find you tend to graze throughout the day and then you maybe have a meal uh, late on at night. There's a lot of receptions for new MPs. People want to meet the, the new MPs from all across the country, so you're invited to go and have some canopies and wine and that, and I've had to be very strict on that. Uh, and I was told that most MPs put on a, a stone and weight in their first year, uh, and I certainly don't want to end up like that. So there's going to be an awful lot of restraint involved as well. Now you're a football referee, is that, is that the hobby that you're referring to? Yes, yes. And are you still going to be able to do that, fitting that around what sort of 
potentially quite a time-consuming job. Yeah, well, well, I hope so. I mean, it's, it's perhaps some of the most unpopular jobs I could have. You know, being an MP and a football referee, I'm not exactly the most popular person. My wife's also a police officer, so we're about the most unpopular couple you can uh, find in Murray at the moment. But I, what I've said, I, I got in trouble in the Scottish Parliament for missing a vote to go into a Champions League game, um, and I have said I, I've learnt my lesson from that. But also, I think MPs need to have outside interests, and the fact that this weekend, for example, I'll be refereeing Forest Mechanics uh, in the Highland League friendly against Inverness Cali Thistle. I think it's quite good that people can see their MP, you know, doing something different locally in the community as well. Looking a bit like a normal person, a normal human being, yeah, rather than just sort of several votes as well if a penalty decision goes the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in terms of the advice that you've been given, what's the sort of you know, if it is don't drink every night and eat. Uh, constantly or you know what what do you do on social media or how do you get around have you been given advice by sort of senior MPs Vera? the advice I was given first is to protect my holidays because as you say the burnout that you burn out is is, is quite a big danger um, and I think it's all about pacing yourself um, of course you want to do a thousand things straight away but I think you know to step back to organize yourself well get the structures in place and then protect your free time is probably a good advice um, as much as we all want to be out there every minute I think it's important to pace yourself Luke? Yeah, I mean, politicians aren't short on giving advice. And actually, one of the best pieces of advice that I've got was ask people for their advice, uh, especially kind of what would you do differently? If you were doing your first couple of months again, what would you do differently? And actually, MPs from all the different political parties, generally speaking, talk about how they would hire their staff in a different way, how they'd get in, they'd choose a small number of topics to campaign on rather than go to every single issue. Um, and there's lo- there's lots of good advice out there. I think you know each of us have to work out you know what works best because you know coming from the far southwest, you know, defence, transport, maritime issues are the things they want to focus on. But that doesn't mean that, you know, events, you know, that deal with, say, like, you know, childhood obesity are important to people in Plymouth. It's just trying to work out what are the things that you can make a difference on, because all the power, all the power is with the government. You know, MPs have no power. We have no budgets. We have no power to ask things. The only thing we can do is raise issues. And so being clear that, you know, when you speak on an issue, that you have some authoritative uh, um, stance on it, that you've got the evidence that you need to be able to you know, take on the government who are backed not only with experienced ministers, but then with an awful lot of civil servants whose job it is to defend that minister. You know, you know, they, the odds are stacked against us, which means if you spread yourself too thinly, I think then you risk not being able to do those kind of like, you know, targeted questions that really put the government on the spot or makes that policy change that will help people in your constituency. I would say a lot of it is about influencing. You don't have the power, but you have the power to influence and bringing people together. And that is very much how I see my role as well, not just investments, but also in my constituency. And that is, I think, where most failures lie. It's often just in the lack of communication that people haven't actually talked to each other. Um, So to, to have that role, I think, is quite exciting and I'm looking forward to it. But I think the constituency is the most important thing. Obviously, we are elected by the people in our individual constituencies. So you can be a great parliamentarian, you can be a great orator in the chamber, you can ask all these difficult questions. If you don't respond to your constituents at home with the copious emails that we're getting in, with the number of people that will be coming to our offices, that's where you'll, you'll lose support and you won't get back in here. And that's why Luke's point about you know taking your time with staff has been put to me several times. Don't rush in because these are the people on the front line who your constituents will see most of the week when we're stuck down here in Westminster. And it's important to get good people up in the constituency. So how many emails have you all had already? Thousands? Tens of thousands? Yeah. 
But then you couldn't get into them at the weekend because of the uh, because of the hacking attack. Well, it's um, a lot of security measures are now being put in place, extra security, which we all accept. Um, but it is a, a little bit disappointing to see um, that you know within the first two weeks or three weeks, um, you know, we had an, a serious impediment to our working, uh, and it's it needs to improve. And it just shows how much we use emails. I, I fly down, so I got the seven o'clock uh, EasyJet flight on Monday morning to come down here. But because I couldn't get my booking reference number off my emails, I couldn't check in online. I got to Inverness Airport and the flight was full. EasyJet over uh, sell the, the number of seats allocated and I was put on standby to come down just because I hadn't been able to get into my emails then. You, you were late on one of your first days. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, luckily, someone else didn't turn up to Inverness Airport and I was able to grab their seat. But it shows how important the emails are. And so what's the long term plan? What's the aim? Do you all want to be prime minister? I don't think so. You look at the pressure that, you know, Theresa May's been under this week, just from her own backbenchers, let alone from the opposition. You know, it's, you know, it's a thankless task. You know, I think the perspective I have is I'm standing in a marginal seat. I won a marginal seat, but I lost last time. The majority of 7,000 is a kind of false majority because there was a huge surge. If you represent a marginal seat, you've got to work your socks off every single day to make sure you can win people's trust in that area. So for me, you know, it's focused on those issues that really matter in the constituency. Because frankly, I think, you know, if you listen to why people got involved with politics for the first time, whether they're Labour, Tory or Lib Dem, you know, there was something that there was an injustice they wanted to write. There was something they wanted to change about the world. And I think keeping that focus on, you know, you know, I went want to go into politics to get Plymouth a better deal because we always get ignored in the far southwest. We don't get the funding is, you know, if only we could append, you know, Plymouth onto Belfast, we'd get <laughs> hundreds of millions of pounds in the latest deal, but we, we're not. And so we're getting ignored. So that's the stuff that I want to focus on. But, you know, the, there's a multitude of ways of getting that better deal. Some of that is persuasion. Some of that is attack. Some of that is coalition building. All of those things we're going to have to be doing over the next couple of months to kind of like, you know, get that deal for our constituents. You could give Plymouth a better deal if you were Prime Minister. Yeah, probably could. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Douglas? How, what was the limit of your ambitions? Uh, well, I've spent a number of years trying to get in here as Murray's MP, and, and that's always been my aim as someone born and bred there to, to represent my home area. And it goes back to, to the reputation you get as being a strong, hardworking local MP. That's important to me. It's also important to all the people who campaign for me that says, oh, Douglas is the guy that will get things done for you, so I've got to make sure I do it. You know, and my family still live in the area, and I don't want their neighbours to be complaining, oh, you know, we voted for your boy and he's never done anything for us. The, the only other point I was going to make about Luke's point about you know coalition working and working together, in the Scottish Parliament, I found that some of the best debates we had and the best discussions were in the committees. Now, we're nowhere near setting up committees yet, but I'm quite hopeful we can see something similar here. You get the very adversarial politics in the chamber, and that's people's impression of UK politics is 30 minutes at Prime Minister's questions. But actually, we can get a lot of cross-party work done in either the all-party groups or the committees. So it'll be interesting as new members, I think, see how that works and the influence we can have there. So are you going to give me a politician's answer to not being Prime Minister as well, Viva? I was just um, taking up on <laughs> what has been said before, and I find the cross-party working, the natural step to that one is obviously proportional representation. And for me, it is one of the big things that I think we, we, we should achieve if not in this parliament, but certainly in the, in the near, nearer future, it's not just about electoral success, it's about the right thing to do. So if I could make some progress there, I would really fulfill a, a very big ambition. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And we should probably just touch on sort of live uh, issues at the moment. I mean, Brexit is going to dominate everything uh, over the next few years. How problematic do you think that's going to be? How it it feels to me, particularly with such a slim government majority, you're going to be here late an awful lot dealing with votes and that sort of thing. Is that your expectation? Yeah, and and Brexit was an important issue in my constituency. It came within 122 votes of being the only part of Scotland to vote Leave. It was 49.9% Leave, 50.1% Remain. So in in communities like Murray, uh, there's a very uh, split um, decision on that issue. Which were you? I I call myself a reluctant Remainer. I come from an agricultural background and I could see some of the red tape that farmers were having to work through and it wasn't working in their favour, but I was also concerned about what happens if we were to leave the European Union. That said, I'm also a Democrat, and the United Kingdom as a whole in that franchise decided to leave the European Union, and I've said throughout the campaign and since I've been an MP that we have to get the best deal for Murray, the best deal for Scotland, and the best deal for the UK. So it may mean staying here later, voting on issues, but I also think the election result wasn't what the Prime Minister wanted, wasn't what the Conservative Party wanted, but it is the result the people delivered, and that means that we have to work across the party to ensure we get as best a possible deal out of Brexit as we can for all our constituents. And how long has Theresa May got in number 10? Theresa May is the leader of the Conservative Party. She's the Prime Minister. She's Those are factual statements. Yeah, well, you know, I, I support Theresa May as a Prime Minister. We had a very strong and supportive 1922 committee meeting straight after the election. She accepted the, the feelings in the campaign, but we've got to move forward and work together. I, th- there is no appetite. I think all three of us will agree. There is definitely no appetite for another election. And I think we've got to get behind Theresa May and get this best deal for Brexit and the UK. I'll, I'll join the, the consensus that we don't want another election. Uh, Luke, do you describe yourself as a Corbyn? Well, I sit in the middle of the Labour Party. You're all Corbynistas now. Well, yeah, but I sit in the middle of the Labour Party. So I've watched the left and the right of the Labour Party throw stones at each other for quite some time. I think being in the middle is the best place to, as I described, to hug both the left and the right. And, you know, coming from the regions, you know, ideological views on the left and the right haven't always worked for us. So actually, I find the best place to be is kind of like pick that policy from the left, pick that policy from the right and make a kind of a bundle of stuff that works for the southwest. It's the best way of doing it. And that's where actually when the Brexit debate comes up, you know, 
I'm sick to the back teeth of hearing just this sound bites being this. You know, I come from a business background. I can't plan business endeavors, investment, or job hires based on sound bites. I want no detail. And actually, I think the challenge for the country in the next couple of uh, next couple of months, in particular, is to go from these kind of like you know, Brexit means Brexit, sound bite nonsense, into right. It means this much tax. It means we'll control in this way. It means we're going to repatriate that power, but not that power, and actually get down so economic sectors can work out what it means for their business the average voter can go oh i didn't think it meant that and actually we can have that proper debate because the idea that we only had the people involved right at the start of the process and then by you know taking back control we've given it all to a weak and wobbly prime minister you know i don't think that's right people want to know what brexit actually means for them and at the moment there's zero detail on it there's zero detail on the negotiating strategy and we look like we've started negotiations in a very vulnerable and weak place and i think all of us you know whether you vote remain or leave want to get a good deal out of it yes of course so let's get rid of that soundbite now and then say what's that actually mean for us what's that mean for plymouth and the southwest what's that mean for car manufacturing or banking get into the detail and it's that detail that will actually keep us voting later but it's that detail that is the absolutely essential bit that we're not getting at the moment and what about you, Vu? You, you campaigned a lot for Remain in Bath. It, where are you now? Do you accept the outcome or do you think that we'll end up having a second referendum or do you think there's a possibility of us then staying in the EU? We have always accepted the result. You don't go and ask the people and then say, um, April Fool, we are doing our own thing. The people have said what they have said, but they have given also very little detail to what they actually wanted. I was just going to warn Luke to be comfortably in the middle it's where I have been in the Lib Dems all our lives. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it is not an easy... We could have a defection now, that would be exciting. <laughs> it doesn't, it is not an easy position. I wished we had more of the middle politics. Uh, currently, it seems to be drifting to the extremes. And I, wish, I, I wished we could get more um, gathering in the middle um, on all these issues, because absolutely, it is about getting the deal, best deal for our country. And certainly by just sort of being opposing, uh, just looking at opposing sides, we won't get the best deals. We all have to compromise. I think the scope for cross-party working is greater in this parliament than we've had for a very long time. And actually, because the government doesn't have a majority, you know, they've cobbled together this dodgy deal with the DUP that gives them loads of money in return for some votes. But none of the other bits of the UK got any money out of that. They've found the magic money tree, but it only works if you're in Ulster. You know, uh, I, I, I like the way Luke said he's not going to use any of these sound bites. And he's used <laughs> 10 of them in the last couple of Weak and wobbly, dodgy bunk. Amazing. If you've got a spare 100 million per MP that you can give to us in the Southwest so we can get a decent train line, then you're more than welcome to use as many sound bites as you like. But actually, that cross party working, you know, when the committees and all that kick in later this year, and the government will purposely drag their heels to get there because they know that select committees give them scrutiny and that's what they really don't want at the moment. But actually, you know, on big issues, whether that's about making votes count, whether that's about action on climate change, whether that's about, you know, making sure our Navy is big enough to cope with the threats that we're facing as a country, there is agreement, I think, more agreement than many people out there realise between people in the different political parties. And I think the challenge for all of us is actually, yes, we're all going to play, you know, that, that partisan game to make sure that our team wins. And that's, you know, that's politics but actually it's about getting stuff done and I think you know without a majority there's a scope for us to do a lot more cross-party that actually delivers more genuine votes that's not that partisan ideological flair and actually that could be good for the country and actually with Brexit it could mean there's sort of more buy-in to it rather than it being seen as a conservative deal it's a deal everyone has uh, settled on um, just before we finish up I just want to know what's the weirdest thing you've come across since you've arrived in Parliament Vera there's prayers at the beginning of each session, 
And there's, of course, people who are not of faith and um, they can sit down. But those people who do say the prayers have to turn to the wall. Uh, interesting. So you turn around when you say the prayers to the wall. You look at the wall and do it. It's bizarre. Luke? Well, I, I, the prayers are the bizarrest bit for me. If I, I don't come from a strongly religious background. My mum was a theology lecturer, so I've been taught in all these different world religions, but never really in one of them. And actually the idea of just how close kind of like religion and politics is on the, in the day-to-day practice of how Parliament works, I think it has been quite surprising actually, because that, you know, I don't have any particularly strong religious beliefs. And, and you know, I know right across you know, the country, people have a variety of faiths, but just seeing how strong that is. And also, you know, prayer's gone for three minutes. You know, time how long it takes you to, to say the Lord's Prayer and then double that a few times, you know, and that's what we've got here. So, you know, that is a very interesting, the kind of like, you know, learning those weird and wonderful traditions. When you see people walking around with swords, you know, you have to remember that this is, you know, both a museum and an active parliament at the same time. It's an odd combination. And Douglas? Yeah, well, just to carry on the, the prayers, I had been interested in just to see what that was like because I'd obviously followed Parliament before and, of course, no TV cameras cover the, the prayer section. So Vera's just given away some of the secrets about what we do in there because it's something that, that's not widely known because yeah. it's the only part of our proceedings uh, that go on behind closed doors. Even in, in the Scottish Parliament, where we have time for reflection, that's a, a public event, uh, whereas here it's behind closed doors. Uh, uh, Luke mentioned swords. Uh, one of the strangest things is I've got a ribbon on my coat hanger in the members' uh, dressing room that allows me to hang my sword if I have one. So I don't have a gardener, I don't have a chauffeur, and I don't have a sword. So there's a lot of things I've been given uh, you know, help with that I don't actually require down here. I suspect you might struggle to get a sword on an EasyJet flight as well. Um, thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us. It's been great. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for this week. As ever, remember you can sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. Do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes on your Android device so each new episode will appear automatically. But for now... From Luke Pollard, Douglas Ross, Vera Hobhouse and me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.